Hello, and welcome back to the Community Church Podcast. I'm Gabriel Young, the Director of Audiovisual. I want to apologize real quick for a break in the schedule. I'm getting things back on track now. This episode will be continuing our series on grace, but the message will actually be delivered by Matt Cook, the newest addition to our staff and our executive director. Hey. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you. I didn't want to knock it over. I know that we are interacting, and this is what the body should do, but I always encourage people to uh, ask him, say, hey, do you eat lunch any time? And then take him to lunch and extend this right on out, right? How many How many of y'all plan to eat today? Look around. Look around. Some impl- if you're fasting, that's okay, but if you're planning to eat. Now, everybody that would like to go out with somebody... It, look at the people raising their hand, and you can go out to lunch with them. And if you tell them you're buying, they will go. Right? All seriousness, I was doing that to help everybody get seated. But before we, before I make an introduction to who is going to bring God's Word, did a great job the first service, um, I want us to take a pause. Um, in, in our town, you probably have seen all over Facebook and also in our media, news media, that our town yesterday um, was hit pretty hard. The, and when I say that is, is a mem- memor- memories and um, spe- a special place, Byron Berline's um, studio building and also the, the floors next door, they, they burned. Luckily, nobody was injured as far as humans, but uh, it's pretty impactful for those families. And really, uh, it took almost, I think they're still there, but our first responders took hours and hours and hours police and fire and and there were a lot of lots of other um, buildings and patrons around that had to deal with uh, evacuation and and I would just like us to pause uh, um, and pray just offer a prayer up uh, as God is uh, still God amen and so if you'll join me let's bow our heads Father God thank you that today you're the same the same as yesterday and the same you will be tomorrow and that is a good God a faithful God, a God of provision and hope and peace. And so, Father, we lift up the Burlines. We lift up uh, everyone involved uh, in the fire that was directly impacted and all those that are connected via just caring in our town. Father, be there with them today. Be wherever they may be and encourage them. Give them a sense of your presence with them and the hope that will pass and the peace that would pass any understanding. And then, Lord, I pray that as they process and deal with what uh, they are dealing with uh, today and tomorrow and the next days, you would give them wisdom, you would guide their steps, and that you would encourage them. And we lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I have a privilege here of uh, more of more of formally in introducing. Last week, I mentioned that uh, Matt Cook here has uh, joined our staff full time. It's been a process that began at the latter part of last year. Uh, he comes from, as an executive. He, he, he stepped down from a, an executive with Loves and uh, is stepping into ministry. You know, Bill Hybels wrote a book called Descending to Greatness that spoke to me greatly when I stepped out of the corporate world. And, and Matt's pretty much doing the same thing. And so it's with my 
pleasure because I got to hear the first sermon. You're getting to hear it again in the better, whatever better state it could be. I don't know, but he did a great job letting God speak through him. So if you'll join me as we welcome Matt Cook to the platform. Well, it's a good sign that he didn't take the microphone away and said that was good, but you're never doing it again. Um, so yeah, this is, this is my full-time gig now. It's pretty exciting, but um, walking out of the love's world um, to church, I didn't think I was be up here this fast, but you know, it's pretty awesome. God's up to, up to something. And, uh, I, think it was, was it, I think it was last Tuesday, pastor sat down with uh, me and Pastor Tyler. He's like, you know, I feel like someone's supposed to, other than him, preach this Sunday. He's like, I'll do it. And I have a tendency sometimes to jump into things before I think it through, but God didn't say no, stupid idea. And um, he goes, all right, so I want you to preach, and then I want you to preach on grace. I'm like, well, okay, I, I can do that. I haven't really preached on grace before. And then in my spirit, God said, I want you to preach on Paul's thorn in the flesh. And I'm like, eh, God, why? Because if you think of all the scriptures in the Bible, and there's a lot of them, you know, it's a pretty good amount of scriptures in here. Paul's thorn in the flesh isn't one you typically, you know, just get super excited about. There's not a lot of goosebumps that go with that. And there's a lot of more fun scriptures you know, Peter walking on the water, you know, Jesus healing the blind man, Jesus feeding 5,000 people out of loaves and fishes, lots of cool scriptures. We don't really think of Paul's thorn in the flesh as one right up in there in that same category, but there's some really awesome truths in this passage that God really spoke to me, and I, as I dove into this and, and spent more time studying it, and it became real to me, and it birthed inside me, and it, I got even more excited about it. And I preached to myself some this week, and I'll have a chance to preach to you guys and see if you guys let me do this again. I think the first service, they like me, kind of, we'll see. Either they're really polite, so. Exactly. <laughs> Babies are so honest, aren't they? <laughs> All right. So we'll start in there just reading the full scripture. And for those of you who don't like to read, I can read it for you. For those of you who don't like my voice, read and ignore me, so we'll go from there. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, like I said, you don't read this scripture and just say, oh, that's a, that's a cool response, God. And if I'm Paul in that situation, I probably say, God, that's not the answer I'm looking for. I want the now. I want the instant fix. I like instant solutions. And as a society, we typically like that as well. I have a five-year-old who lacks patience in a way that it's like, hey, I said, uh, can I go get an ice cream? Can I go get an ice cream? Can I go get an ice cream? I will get it later. Can I go get an ice cream? Can I go? She has no patience at all. She wants her ice cream now. But we're like that as adults. Uh, they, they said the average, average attention span for Adults in our society is 20 minutes. We typically, after 20 minutes, get really impatient. You know, I don't like, me and Heather, we'll sit there and we'll binge watch shows on Netflix because I hate commercials. I don't even remember the last time we actually turned our cable on because cable comes with commercials and I don't want to waste time on commercials. I just like things instant. We like instant solutions. We like the things that we want, when we want them, how we want them. It's the microwave society. Was it the joke that was going around in Thanksgiving? People were sending messages to their mom, how do you microwave a turkey? Because they want it done now. And the mom's response was, horrible idea. 
And so I started digging into this. You know, was God saying, Paul, get over it? Stinks to be you. Sorry, see you on the other side. We'll talk about it. It wasn't. God didn't abandon Paul with this response that says, my grace is sufficient. He was up to something. And so my natural nature is I like to ask lots of questions. Um, Pastor Amend in the first service, because I ask lots of questions. Vicki's sitting over there. She can tell you I ask lots and lots of questions. She's not her end. There we go, Pastor. Thank you. But my natural inquisitive nature is I like to understand things. I don't want to just read the Bible and say, okay, that's cute. I want to know what's God talking about. Why grace? Why did he choose this scripture or this response to Paul's request? What was he trying to say? What was he trying to do? And so for me, that took me back to the basics of what is grace? What is the foundation? What is the fundamental meaning of grace? Because a lot of times when you say grace, the natural Christian response would be what's unmerited favor. But after we read the scripture, it's like God's saying, my unmerited favor was sufficient to get you through this mess. That doesn't, I don't, I didn't get that. So I had to dig a little deeper. And so it took me to what is grace? And at the very foundation of what grace is, grace is a gift from God. And this is really important and it'll make sense as we go along. But Paul wrote in Romans 12, 3, that it says, through the grace given to me, given to Paul. Galatians 2, 9 says, again, grace was given to Paul. Ephesians 2, 8 calls grace a gift. It says the gift of grace. And grace is defined as a thing willingly given to someone without payment, a present. It's given to you. You, you, you didn't ask for it. Maybe, maybe if you're like, I got six kids. They start Christmas. Uh, so my twins were born uh, January 3rd. Christmas Day, we had just left my in-law's house, and they were on their way home. And Gavin looked at me and goes, Dad, can we start talking about my birthday? Because he wants his present. We like presents. But it leads us to the next point about grace is grace cannot be earned. And God's making a point with this. Romans 4 says, Now to him that works, the wages are not counted as grace, but counted as debt. If you work, you earn something. That's a novel concept to some people. Walking out of the corporate world, I wish some people would catch on to this. I mean, I don't get paid if I don't show up. Imagine that. Romans eleven six says, And if by grace, then it is no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. The point is, is grace is something that you cannot obtain on your own. You can't, you can't earn it. You can't do enough things. You can't act in enough ways that make you appear holy. And you can't give enough in the offering. You can walk up and pay the debt off. That doesn't change. You didn't earn grace. It's like you can't earn salvation. On your best day, on your most holiest moment, you could say the most beautiful prayer, lead everyone in a prayer. People are crying, coming to Jesus, and everyone's just weeping. You still can't earn the sacrifice of Jesus coming down and paying a price for you. You're not humanly capable. You're never on your best day righteous or holy enough to earn that. And so God's response is grace. He's saying, you can't earn this. You've never deserved this, but I'm going to give this to you. And so how this applies, and actually, let me read this scripture, or this passage by Andy Stanley that I found that it really jumped out at me. It says, to say that someone deserves grace is a contradiction in terms. You can, no long, you can no more deserve grace than you can plan your own surprise party. In the same way that planning voids the idea of a surprise, so claiming to deserve 
forwards the idea of grace. You can ask for it. You can plead for it. But the minute you think you deserve it, the it that you think you deserve is no longer grace. It's something that you've earned. And I think as I'm studying this, a lot of times when we're talking about grace, we have a hard time wrapping our own own human understanding around this because our whole society is built around cause and effect. You do something and there's a corresponding action. Just like we talked about work. You go to work, you work your hours, and at the end of that pay cycle, you expect to be paid. And if you don't get paid, there's a corresponding action by you as you, you know, get pretty upset. We raise our children in a cause and effect environment. You do this, you have good rewards. You don't do this, you have bad, bad rewards or consequences. Our whole thought process is seed time and harvest when it comes to everything that we do. But God's different. It says in Isaiah, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our, our thoughts. So what God, his way of doing things, his, the, the kingdom of God has its own processes, its own things. And it involves things that you can't earn. It involves salvation that you can't earn. It involves grace that you can't earn. And this is really important to the response to Paul. Because what God's saying is the problem is beyond you, Paul. This thorn in the flesh, this thing that you're dealing with, you can't, you can't get your way through this. You can't pray enough. You can't write another book that's, that'll change lives for thousands of years enough. You can't do this. is beyond you. And how many times do we deal with some things that are just beyond our own ability to fight? There's some messes that we deal with that whether, whether we created the mess or it was dropped in our lap one day, there's some fights that we fight that we are just simply not able to handle on our own. Some messes are too big. And so when I started to really dig into this, God really started speaking to me on this part about this, of what grace means and, and how this response is. And I discovered that, you know, as a man, I can only do so, so much things. I can, I have, I've, you may mention, or have mentioned six kids. I have a wife. There's expectations. There's things I can do. I can go to work. I can earn a paycheck. I can do things. I can mow the yard. Or actually, my job's weed eating. I have kids that mow the yard now. Thank God for teenagers. I love that. My, she's 13. She loves to get on the riding lawnmower. And I don't know how it goes faster when she's on it. But I'll see that she'll turn and somehow it's up on two wheels and she's zooming around. In two, three years, she's going to want to drive. And God help me, I need grace for that. <laughs> but I can weed eat. I can do certain things. We all can. There are certain expectations that you have as your responsibilities. That's that word that that we all love so much responsibility. He doesn't like it either. But what God says is grace begins the moment you stop and you can't do it. The moment I realize that as a man, I'm capable of only so much. My righteousness can only get me so far. And the moment that I realize that I am at this point, at the point where I can't go any further and I need God to step in, his grace is right there to carry us through. Like I said, it wasn't a response of abandonment to Paul. It's saying, Paul, I got you. I got this. My grace is sufficient because you can't do it. You can't fix it. But I'll carry you through. So grace begins where we end. And grace deals with our mess, guys. It deals with this part of our lives that it's the unlovely part, the part that's never good enough for, to or righteous enough for God. It's the part of our human capabilities where we stop our flaws and our failures the part of us that needs a Savior. 
That's where grace, it's the unlovely part that we don't like to talk about. The things that we try to walk in and look all holy and all spiritual and say the right things in church and inside, we're just a mess. And God's grace is there. He's there to carry us through it. And so it's interesting to, to think about this as, as well as Paul. And some people, you've heard of, you may have heard of Paul talk about he is the apostle of grace. Because if you look at Paul, he first appears in the, in the New Testament as a man named Saul. And Saul is someone who, as they were about to stone Stephen, it says that he's, they threw the, the coats at his feet. He basically, it says in the, in the scripture, he consented in Stephen's stoning, or he approved of stoning. He approved of it. And so right after that, that lit something in Saul, and it lit a, a fire in the wrong kind of way, and he started really persecuting the church. So he threw people in jail. He split families up. He was flawed in the eyes of God. He wasn't doing, he basically waged war on Christ. And then Christ shows up and everything, everything changed. But Paul understood that by grace, he was able to be saved because everything, and you're talking about the chief of sinners. He's actually writing letters to people that he was trying to throw in jail 15, 20 years ago. He persecuted. He was, he was the enemy of the faith. But God's grace, and so I think more than anyone, it's the reason why Paul actually, as he uh, wrote the epistles, he mentions grace 144 times. So it's almost like it meant something to him. But as I was reading this, God deals with me. And if you look at, at, at the Gospels, Jesus talked about peril, parables a lot because people relate to stories. They relate to life lessons. A lot of times you can make Scripture birth into reality by just by attaching a parable or a story to it. And I'm wired the same way. And so God took me back to some things in my life that I've dealt with and, and taught me this last week what it really meant to be for him to say my grace is sufficient and, and walk through something. A lot of you guys, you're still kind of getting to know me. We've been here for about two years. My wife made sure I got the dates right in the first service. That's what she keeps me straight. Thank God. I'm married up. I'm all right with that. That's all I can. I was, I was told I'm not allowed to say anything, so I'm just going to scoot over here this side. I love you. Is this far enough? Okay. So as a child growing up, I grew up in a little town south of Fort Worth called Burleson, Texas. Um, as a first 15 years of my life, my biological father was, a little, he was, was speaking a mess. My home life was, it was unstable. It was, uh, my dad was, he had good intentions at times, just flawed, he had, known for his temper, um, made some tragic mistakes and stupid things, decisions that my family, as a 41-year-old man, still has some of the repercussions of those actions. When I was 15 years old, he decided to get on his motorcycle. He got some bad news he didn't like. Drove north to Oklahoma because he wanted to distance himself as far away from Burleson as he could. Rented a motel, checked into the room, and then killed himself. And so I'll never forget the moment the police officer comes to the door and says, um, talking to my mom, Pam, we found your husband. He's, he's no longer alive. In that moment, I will never forget, as I, this, I've never met this guy before, this police officer, and he's just holding this 15-year-old kid. I'm just crying because I just, you're, you're 15, your dad dies. It's, it's an emotional response. And I, at that moment, I realized that my life, there was no normal from that point on. I didn't know what to do. I didn't understand how to get through this. 
and the reality of the fact that my dad, even though that, even though as flawed as he was, that was my normal that I knew at the time. And so, as a 15-year-old processing a bunch of things, and just 15-year-old being, 15-year-old males are just unstable. They just are. I have one that's driving now. He's not here, so I can talk about him a little bit more. 15-year-old males behind the wheel of a car are unstable. Remember the first time we were driving in the parking lot, and he got distracted, and it was like, Nolan, you going to turn? Nolan, and he's like, oh, look, a bird. <laughs> <laughs> but I was processing and dealing with all this stuff, and I didn't know what to do, how to, how to, how to handle it, really, and I was mad. And, you know, a typical 15-year-old, they're mad at everything at some point. And then my mom starts dating this guy named Terry Roberts. And so I was, believe it or not, skinny. I had hair. I looked a little bit different than I do now. There was no gray. And this little 15-year-old sees this big six-foot, two, six-foot-three, barrel-chested man walking in, casting his affection upon my mom. And with the mom comes me and two sisters. And so they started falling in love. They didn't ask my opinion, kind of really. I mean, she may have asked, but I don't think she really cared because who has a 15-year-old or raised one? Do you really care what they, I mean, you can say the right things, but I mean, do you, all right, so she's not here. I have no kids in here. This is free. This is, I can say what I want. All right, they can't watch us later, right? So what happened is as they started dating, they, they fell in love, got married, and um, I misspoke in the first sermon and, and said the date's wrong, and I got my email or text message was blowing up. It's like, do you know when we were married, or do you know how long this was? And so in 1993, if you're listening, if you can hear me all the way in Fort Worth and whatever, she, my mom married this man named Terry. And I was, I was frustrated and angry, and I thought it was too soon, and I didn't like it. And, you know, the whole thing, and I look back now, God never once woke me up in the middle of the night and said, Matt, what's your opinion here? It's almost like he didn't care my opinion. Almost like he was treating me like a 15-year-old. But what we were over here in this mess that we were dealing with, and this, the emotions and the strain and the stress and all of this, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't. And Lord knows Terry needed grace to deal with me. I know, I know Pastor and Vicky and some other ones may need grace to deal with me now as a 41. Imagine me at 15. You think I'm ornery now? I worked with a lady for years at Love, and she goes, will you just grow up? No. <laughs> Seven years later, I left on my last day. I said, I told you I'd never grow up. I won. But Terry had to have grace to deal with my mess. Dear Lord, I didn't make it easy for him. Terry's truck equaled Terry's stature. Late 70s Chevy truck that was, you pop the hood and it's shiny and pretty. It's got the chrome and, and you start the engine and it's just, it, it sounds like a man's truck. The problem with Terry's truck is whenever he pulled in after his day at work, he worked in a, a brake tire shop, so he sweated all day when it's hot, and he was cold all day when it's cold, and so he's tired. He's physically exhausted, and he, uh, he'd pull in, and I'd hear the truck because I'd, I'd say, I, we would know Terry was home because the house, you, could, you knew Terry was home. And my first response was, go lock the door. I'm going to make him earn his way in. I was, I, I'm a 15-year-old. Don't, don't let, hey, you have 15. We, 15-year-olds, they're special. God loves them. All of them. So, but, so he needed grace dealing with me. 
And it's funny, I, I laugh now. With first, his first introduction to our family is all of a sudden his Dr. Pepper started missing when he went to work because I found his stash. And his socks, I'm a typical 15-year-old. I didn't like laundry, so I knew Terry had clean socks. I needed socks in the morning. He'd already left for work, so there's the socks. I got them. And over time, he caught on, and I noticed whenever I opened the drawer, all of his socks that were stretched out and messed up were at the top, and he had a separate, he locked up. Actually, he started locking up his Dr. Pepper's and his socks. Because <laughs> he, he adapted to, to my ways. But what I noticed when I looked back that God was doing something. He was doing something to a family that they necessarily didn't even know at the time what was going on. They certainly didn't ask for this to be his methodology behind it. You know, I said in the first service that, you know, God, he couldn't have snapped his fingers and fixed it. You know, he, he's, he can do pretty much anything he wants, and his methodology is up to him. But when a broken situation is that flawed and that broken, to heal something permanently, it takes time. It takes processes. It takes, it takes patience. It takes love. And I look back, and was, we were over here, this, this messed up family. And I'm, am I making the, the cameras? Am I moving around enough for you? There we go. First guy, I think, got dizzy as I was pacing back and forth, so it's all right. And we're over here in this mess, and we're dealing with it. And here comes Terry, and we a little bit step towards normal. Because for the first time, I saw someone love my mom in a way that my biological father never did. It was unconditional. It wasn't filled with anger. He didn't betray her. He was a godly man to my, to my mom. And then I saw, as at time, he became a godly father to me and my sisters, where he would get angry and not lash out and get frustrated because, oh, Lord, I frustrated him. My first car was a 1956 Chevy. It was orange, had a little 283 in it, not, which is good because anything bigger and I would have been in a lot of trouble. Sounded nice, had black vinyl interior, no air conditioner, and the windows didn't roll down. And it's in Texas, and I, it was hot. Yes, I remember, yeah, I was, you sweated a lot. That's part of the reason I was skinny back then because the summer is in Texas. But I remember going to church one day with my sisters and girlfriend in the back, their friends, had four girls in the car. So if you have a young male that is in their the driving age, do not let them drive with four girls in the car. It's stupid <laughs> because they're distracted. And the thing about this car had really nice wide tires. And if you get too close to the curb, what does the curb do? Kind of suck the car over onto it? So I wrapped that thing around a pole. It actually was a do not turn sign that I, I leveled Cave the front end of the, the car. The car worked perfectly. Whoever designed it, the front end absorbed the damage. The worst thing is my stepsister's leg got shoved under the heater. She's fine. Her leg survived. She, she cried, but, you know, she's all right. <laughs> but Terry, that day, I had to call him. Say, hey, Terry, I just got in a wreck. And this is, I mean, he likes this car. He liked me, but at that time, maybe the car more. But I remember as he got out of the car, and I had just hurt his, his daughter, he seemed bigger that day. Terry has this thing whenever he gets mad, some of the weight shifts to his, I mean, it's like, you know, it's a dad thing. You know, I'm sure if someone tries to one day cast their affection upon Katie, I will probably do the same thing. And yeah, we won't talk about that. That's a dark day ahead. But I learned even in that situation, it took some time for him to forgive me, but I discovered what it was like to have a godly dad 
and my normal became something that I would want for my family. And I saw someone raise me in a way that I wanted to raise my children. And I learned through time and through processes and through situations, and the frustration turned to, okay, this is going to work. Turned to, this is nice. Turned to, I love this man deeply because he stabilized this mess of a family. And I look at now, I wouldn't be the husband or father I am today without that example. So God took us through a situation that was a mess because I couldn't fix it. I prayed a lot. It didn't bring an instant result. I couldn't solve all those problems on my own. One, I was 15. I didn't know anything. And two, I was 15 and I couldn't do anything. I needed someone's grace. I need God's grace to be sufficient enough to carry my family through this. And that's the part of grace that I think is so awesome is whenever he says his grace is sufficient, he actually means it. And it says here, sufficient means to possess unfailing strength to be enough. His unfailing strength is of, the unfailing strength of his grace is enough to carry you through. It is enough, guys. Sometimes that's all you have. When you look at the bank account and there's zeros when there should be other digits and you have bills that are due, unless you do illegal means, you're in trouble. <laughs> if you do illegal means and you're only in trouble, there's a police officer here. <laughs> Certain things you just can't fix on your own. Certain problems in your marriage and problems with your children and problems at the doctor's office whenever they give you the, the, the report you don't want. The mess of life. Guys, sometimes it's just not pretty. And something about God that he likes to do that he doesn't really ask our opinions on as well is he likes to pick the wounds to make sure they're healed like he wants them to. And we're content in our misery sometimes. We're thinking, well, we've coped. We're okay. I don't need to deal with that problem anymore. It happened a couple years ago. I think I'm fine. But I'm inside a ball of anger because I haven't dealt with it. And so God starts picking. And starts making you deal with your mess. But he doesn't do it in a way that abandons you. He does it in a way that says, my grace is sufficient. Guys, I'm going to walk you through something that's not going to be comfortable. A thorn. So raise your hands and if you ever stepped on a sticker. Everyone should raise their hands. This is Oklahoma. If you haven't stepped on a sticker, where are you? I want to live there. <laughs> so stickers hurt, right? Who enjoyed? Last time I said, who has enjoyed raising your, or stepping on a sticker and Clayton raised his hand? We need to pray for Clayton. No one enjoys a sticker. They hurt. The thorns are not comfortable. And when you step on a sticker, you end up walking kind of like this because you don't want to step on it again, right? You got this thing sticking out of your foot, and if you step on it again, it hurts more. That's stupid. Right? You want to just, you kind of just, or you try to hop and then you look silly and your family's laughing at you and they try to, you know, help you, but they're really laughing at you. I'll never forget Katie. Years and years ago, my in-laws had taken over this property and the people before apparently had, had embraced the concept of stickers because that was their flower of choice. And she fell in the yard one time and she basically, she stood up and it was just stickers all over her, sticking out of her, her shirt pants and arms and she's crying and we're running to her but then you have to be slow to pick them out because then you get them in yourself and then it's uh, everyone's just happy stickers hurt thorns hurt there's a persistency to that thorn that every time you step on it it hurts again it's like just a one-time owl and even when you pull it out it hurts and then it's sore 
Those little, little, I don't know what they're called, the little, the, the horn, little evil things that you can step in. That just, you pull it out, and like for two days later, you're afraid to walk on your foot because it hurts. And so God used this analogy, or had Paul use this for a reason, because stickers and thorns, they're not comfortable. Walking through something that makes you uncomfortable is by definition uncomfortable. You don't enjoy it. But there's a process. I don't remember who said it, but it's like, oh, what a plan, oh, what a planner. Almost like God's up to something. And the only way to get you through your mess in a way that it's going to eventually bring the healing and the resolution that you need, sometimes it's not a quick process. Sometimes we have to learn from our own mistakes, guys. Sometimes, as we're going through Dave Ramsey, I love Dave Ramsey. Financial peace, yes. Anyone believe that? I didn't. I, God bless Mike and Lisa. You're doing a great job. You're the messengers of Satan. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not comfortable because you know what he makes you do? Change your habits. And you don't change those overnight. You got to wake up and count up all your debt. That's sobering. And you walk through a process getting out of debt. I don't, I've never saw, and you guys correct me, if, I never saw someone get out of debt in two days on the, the Dave Ramsey way. That didn't work that way, right? Because you had to go through a process and change your behaviors and learn something. There's an epiphany. Learn from the past to get you where God wants you to go. And so his grace is sufficient. Because the point of grace is leaning on a God that can do something that you absolutely in your best day cannot do, will never be capable of doing, and have to rely on someone beyond you to do it. It says in 2 Corinthians, I can talk, I promise. 2 Corinthians 2.14, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. Thanks be to God. Not me leading myself to triumph, because I'm a man. Thanks be to God who can lead us into triumph. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who's, exce- who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Guys, that's one of the most powerful scriptures because I can dream big. That man can dream huge. I've never met a dreamer like a like pastor. And at three o'clock in the morning, I'm getting some emails sometimes about, he you can tell God woke him up. Hey, hey, pastor, I want you to start dreaming. And he just, and I'm like, wow. If God can outdream him, so this is how I get to turn the tables a little bit, see? Grace. <laughs> God can, he can do what we beyond what I can ask or think. And I can think and dream big. But it's not big enough for God. Who can, I mean, he just, I mean, just, I just can't imagine, you know, just the intellect and the intelligence it took to just create a, a self-sustaining planet. You know, take a seed that turns into a tree and then do it over and over and over and over and over. The genetic code of life, his ways and thoughts are so much higher than ours. And so why do we limit ourselves sometimes in our mess to fix it? Oh, I can do this. No, you can't. Your brain is finite compared to God, who is sufficient. Romans 8, 28 says, He works all things together for the good of those who love Him. Because again, He can do what you find out can't. And as I was thinking about this last night, this, this came to me as well as, a lot of times we deal with messes that we make ourselves. 
You know, if every husband in here, if I ask you if you made your wife mad, you should raise your hands and feet and everything else. We make messes. Men, we're, we're good at it. And women are too. I still love you. But Paul, this is an awesome scripture. It says in Philippians, and actually get over here and I'll read it so I don't do Paul a disservice. It says, Brethren, I do not have counted myself to apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me, reaching forward to the things which are ahead. We base most of our New Testament theology on Paul's writings. He, on being converted to Christianity, spent three years just learning Jesus in the, in the Bible. He knew so much knowledge and so much— I mean, even now, I mean, Peter himself says some of the things that Paul talks about, they're hard. Read Romans a couple of times. You can't do it when you're half awake because it doesn't make sense sometimes because you've got to dig into it. And Paul, he said, I, for, I have one thing I've learned, the one thing that has sunk in more than anything— forgetting what lies behind and pressing on to what lies ahead. And that is the very definition of grace, to where I can forget this mess. I can forget the betrayals. I can forget the pain. I can forget the life that just sometimes goes those curveballs that I don't want to hit, I don't want to deal with, I don't want to have to, this isn't, this isn't fun. And then all of a sudden I'm here and I'm looking ahead, and that's a distant memory. The reality of my life with my stepdad is more real to me than the life that I ever remember, remember much with my dad. It's, it's still, it's not, I haven't forgotten him, but it doesn't hold me back. I've learned, and I'm moving ahead, and that's grace, guys, because we have a faithful God. Something I learned from my grandfather a long, long time ago, and he said that God is sovereign outside of his word, in his word, he's bound himself to it. How he does things and the methodology and the way he does it. One, one time he spoke to a blind man and he was healed. The next time he, he made mud out of the dirt and rubbed spit on the guy's eyes. Not hygienic at all, just nasty. But it healed him. He does, way, he does things and brings healing in ways that we don't always like or want or ask because he doesn't want really our opinion sometimes because we don't know. But what we do know is we have a faithful God who is more than able to deal with our mess the last scripture that I'll read for you guys is one that God reminded me of. It's funny, I was writing this down, and my son looked at me and said, what are you doing? God just told me how I'm supposed to finish this. So sometimes at the 11th hour, he'll, he'll change things. And I like to read, and that's a, if you're ever over there with the kids, and if you're not, you should be, because over there we're having so much fun and changing lives. And All right, that's my plug for kids. You should do it. I'm looking at, where's he at? There, there you go. God's watching. When we read the Bible together, we do it with passion. We do it with energy because this is real, guys. This isn't monotone. Have you ever read someone read the Bible and their voice changes an octave because they have to sound holy? No, you read it with life. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, we are hard pressed on every side yet not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Paul didn't say, God saved us from being hard-pressed. He didn't say, God never let us be perplexed. 
It didn't say God saved us from all persecution. It didn't say that he saved us where we never stumbled. He said that even though I'm hard-pressed on every side, I'm not crushed. He said when I am perplexed and confused and frustrated, I wasn't in despair. It said if I was struck down, I wasn't destroyed. And what that does, and it's, if I can just see Paul, it's like he's just sitting there saying, Satan, you gave me your best shot. You hit me with whatever you thought was going to do. You brought my past up. It wasn't enough. You shipwrecked me out in the middle of the ocean. It wasn't enough. You had some, a snake bite me on the hand. It wasn't enough. They stoned me to death. They raised me back to, to life, and I went back and preached in the same city that stoned me. That'll trip you out. It wasn't enough. Satan never defeated Paul. I spit. That's nice. Because of God inside him. Because the grace was sufficient to carry him through every single mess that he got himself into or that Satan threw at him because it wasn't more sufficient to beat him than the God that said my grace is sufficient. If someone's going to have your back, guys, it's God. And if you find yourself sometimes in that broken state when it's just you, and no one else is around, and you're honest with God. I said, God, I can't do this without you. You've stepped over into something more powerful than you ever can realize. Because you can be struck down, but you don't have to be destroyed. You can be hard-pressed, but you don't have to be crushed. Because he is so sufficient, guys. And that's my prayer, is you guys, as you hear these words, I'm praying that they penetrate you, because sometimes, like I said, life gets messy. The devil that we have, every, the moment you're born, you're drafted into a fight you never wanted to be part of. And Satan doesn't fight fair. He'll mess with your kids. He'll mess with your wife. He'll mess with things you don't expect. He'll, he'll surprise you. He'll throw curveballs. But like my father-in-law says, God's not fallen off the throne once in surprise. Like, oh, I didn't know Satan was going to do that to you. He's sufficient. In all ways, He's strong enough. He's faithful enough. He loves you enough. And you can trust him, which is what it all boils down to anyway. Do you really trust God? So as we wrap this up, would you have everyone, we can go ahead and stand up. Went about four minutes over. I don't see anyone trying to eat their arm hair or anything, so we're good. Food's coming. You guys will be all right. But we all deal with stuff. We all deal with messes. We all deal with things in our life that we say, you know what, God, I can't deal with this. I can't handle this on my own. I need a Savior. I need someone that's going to be beyond my ability. I need a faithful God that loves me in spite of the mess that I make in my goofy days and crazy days. But church, he's a faithful God. As you bow your head and you close your eyes, Lord, ask that, or church, ask that if you need that God and you say, you know, I can't deal with this mess, it's beyond me. Sometimes the very moment of surrender is the moment when you allow God in and, and to deal with your mess. And so if you're dealing with something that you can take to God and say, this is the epiphany moment, this is the moment of my destiny, whenever I can say, I'm pleading to God, I need your help. And he reaches out and says, my grace is sufficient. If you, that's the moment that you're in. So you can raise your hand. You can cry out to God.
and we'll pray together as a church and trust in the God who loves you, who is faithful, who cares about you, and is strong enough to deal with your mess. So Lord, I just thank you for this congregation. I thank you for the plan, the purpose that you have for each and every one in here. There's not a mistake in this room. There may be flaws, there may be imperfections, there may be messes that they are dealing with that seem just like there's no hope in sight. Lord, I ask that you make yourself known to them in a way that penetrates the pain and penetrates the frustration and the pressure and the stress. I ask that you make yourself so real to them that they understand that you are so sufficient to get them through their mess. And more importantly, that their mess becomes a testimony and a witness. And now they're taking the attack that Satan meant for their destruction and they're using it against him. Against him. And they're sharing your word and your power and your love to other people. Lord, I just thank you for that. I thank you for allowing me to have this opportunity to preach to this, this amazing group of people. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. You're about ready to take the mission field. If you want, come up and give this guy a good uh, handshake. He did a great job carrying the word. God bless you all. You're dismissed.